Welcome to Can You Hold My Attention? I'm your host, Eric Bruton. Thank you for tuning into my podcast today. On this show, I invite some of the most important and exciting leaders in wealth management and fintech to discuss and debate the latest trends and hottest topics facing financial advisors today. So why should you listen to this show? Well, my goal is for you to learn one or two ideas that will help you run a better business and or become a stronger leader. These shows have been a blast to do, mostly because of the great guests and the interesting conversations we've had. You can follow Can You Hold My Attention on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. John Tires, the new head of Wells Fargo's independent advisor business, has a big job. Many in the industry would say he's got a tough job, and others might even say he's got an impossible job. It doesn't matter. Wells has made a big bet on John to turn around the firm's finance advisor business, as well as their first trust clearing division. They've even asked him to put his 30 years of experience in the RIA and custody industry to use and build out a hybrid RIA custody platform. John's up to the task, not just because he speaks the languages of RIA custody and advisor technology as well as anybody in this industry. He's told us that he also has the one thing that has eluded many others in the past who've tried to make full-fledged RIA custodians out of the wirehouses, and that's the full support of the people he reports to, the senior management team of Wells Fargo, this massive and powerful organization. I'm excited to have John on the show to talk about why he took this job, his initial plans to change and improve the landscape of the finet and first clearing businesses, and also why he thinks hybrid RIAs will view Wells as a key partner for growth in the future. John Tires, welcome to Can You Hold My Attention? How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Derek. It's uh, great to be here with you today. You know, we got into the business, I have to think, right around the same time in uh, the mid-90s. We both worked with Charles Schwab at the time, which I felt like was the only game in town as it relates to RIA custody. So in retrospect, I think our sales jobs were pretty easy back then. (laughs) Um, But, but, you know, we've both been in the industry ever since then. I've seen your moves and you've seen some of mine over time. And uh, it's just good to you know circle back and talk about this exciting role that you've got now. Yeah, it's it's great to be here. You know, Derek, a, a lot of time in my career, I've thought about you because we have taken some similar paths, um, and so it's uh, it's always great to reconnect. And uh, just I've loved seeing what you've done, and I look forward to catching up here. Yeah, well, good. Well, let's talk about. This exciting role, as as I said, you you've been in the RA business for a long time. You've been working with clients. I'm sorry, with firms that have um, sold different services and products to advisors. But you've also you've also worked with some of the bigger banks and 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 wirehouse firms out there. And uh, you just started. I think it was about eight ten months ago or so. You started your new role at Wells Fargo, which is super exciting. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, and, uh, you know, but tell me, what, what did you find, you know, somebody called you up, whatever it was, eight to 10 years or eight to 10 months ago and talked about this role. What did you find most intriguing about this opportunity at Wells? 
Yeah, um, your your time's about right. So it was probably 10 months ago, maybe eight, that I got the call. And then uh, I'm about six months today, haven't been here. So um, I remember it clearly. Um, what got my attention was that I had known about these independent businesses at Wells for a long time, just like you have. Um, and you knew Wells was in the clearing space and in the independent broker-dealer space, but they were somewhat quiet in how they approached the market. And uh, what got me excited was to think about um, what you can do in the independent space if you have the resources of a full-service firm like Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo's wealth management business tied to a bank because so many clients today are thinking about lending and the full um, the full balance sheet when you deliver advice. And then thinking about if you turn that really with intent on the independent market, could you differentiate and be better? And so the, um, the reality is after two or three conversations, uh, I felt real intent, real commitment from the firm, and I was excited to go be a part of it. Well, that, I mean, that's, a, that's the start, right? Commitment from the firm. I mean, there's plenty of people that want to get into this space or have gotten in this space, but we, we know there's a long list of those that have exited as well because there wasn't a commitment from the top. So that's, that's super important. So when you first spoke to Wells, they said, they came back and said, John, you're the right person because you have these two or three talents or skills that are going to be most valuable to us. So I imagine there was this conversation. So what were those things that they said, you know, you're the reason we're going with you, John. I might have like part of a, a view on that um, because the conversation wasn't that, that clear in terms of, Hey, this is exactly why we picked you. The part of, I think our dialogue that resonated with Wells was the, the diverse experience I had had. So I was just recently at a FinTech firm, uh, FinTech being obviously incredibly important in the market today and uh, even more so in the independent space. I'd had experience uh, running a wealth business at a bank, so I understood banks and wealth. Uh, I had experience, as you know, in my first 12 or 15 years directly in the RIA space. Uh, and I'd run a clearing business before. So I, I, the, the discussion was, you've got all these activities taking place at Wells Fargo. Um, and I've got experience in all those areas. And I think that's where it all really lined up is understanding uh, understanding from experience the businesses that are involved in delivering a great you know, independent offering with a bank and a, a very large brokerage firm. Yeah, the breadth of experiences, I, I would have guessed that would have been one of the main reasons. You know, understanding advisors that come from different channels in our business Heck, just understanding the vernacular that those advisors yeah. use and the way firms that service these advisors and provide technology and serve and asset management to them, how they need to alter their language as they speak to these advisors just to give them the impression they know what they're talking about. You've dealt with every sort of advisor out there, 1099, W-2, independent, what have you. You've dealt with commission-based business, fee-based business. So that breadth of experience, I got to, if I were hiring you, that's exactly why I bring you in. You, you kind of, you've been where the puck was and mm -hmm. 
you're yeah. you're 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 you've been where the puck is going. So that's great to see. You know, you like you said, you've you've been at large companies in the past. Charles Schwab, Merrill Lynch, you were most recently at Advisor Engine, which is the fintech that you mentioned. Great group there. What were some of the most noticeable difference that impacted your daily life over the last six, seven months now that you're with a massive company with over 275,000 employees? It, it's definitely different, right? You go, in my case, went from being at a, a large firm, like you've said, and I've been at some very large firms, and then going to a fintech uh, where we had you know, 90 to 100 people. And, and uh, it was an awesome experience working with my, my great friend, Rich Cancro, who founded Advisor Engine. Awesome culture, great environment, very small and collegial. And in that environment, you do a lot of things yourself, right? A lot. There's right. no, even the little things that, that aren't little really, but there's no administrative assistance. There's nobody to do these things for you that oftentimes at a big company you get, uh, you get help with. But I think that um, that was a real benefit to have gone from the, I'll call it the bigger company with a lot of resources to the smaller company where you're really having to roll up your sleeves and learn and think about solving the problem, not delegating the solving of the problem. And then you come back into a big firm again where you've got a bigger team, arguably, much you know more in terms of resources. Um, to have gone down into the weeds, I can tell you, having gone down into the weeds on some things at Advisor Engine has allowed me to look at some of the problems we're facing today and think about solutions because I I was down there at a different level just a year ago. So so that's one. I think you get an appreciation for knowing you need to understand what happens below the surface and you just can't delegate and hope that everything happens well. And that, that probably <laughs> that's probably could be a little frustrating to some of the people you work with, right? That you're um, you're really trying to understand some of the nuanced detail. But uh, that's one the other is at a big company, there's you could look at it as an advantage or a disadvantage. You've got really big groups and you've got a certain amount of control you can have over your, I'll call it your hierarchy, you know, your, your management hierarchy. But so much at big companies takes place with, uh, with your partners is what we call right. them. So you may not have direct hierarchical responsibility for, you know, software development or operational processing or HR or, you know, a variety of things, but they're critical to delivering services and, uh, and a great experience for advisors and their clients. So the, the, the real key for, I think, success in that model is, is you've really got to leverage the enterprise and you've got to have the ability to influence without the hierarchical structure. Right. And that, that's where, as you know, being in big companies, when you learn how to do that, you can make magic. Uh, if you struggle with that, it, it can be a real struggle. You, you'll be completely ineffective. Um, and just what I think about when I say that is I have been amazed at the level of, um, I'll call it camaraderie and alignment that's uh, that's been there at this big company, Wells Fargo. Uh, I've not seen it before, and I really mean this. I've not seen a company of this size align together on a common mission 
And that's when you can really start to see things happen. Too many times, big companies have too many competing priorities, at least in my experience. And some of the stuff you really think you ought to see getting done and some of the basic, simple strategies that you think you should see getting done aren't happening because people have competing priorities. And right. uh, I, I feel hugely fortunate that we're, uh, we're not experiencing that. So, you know, on the first point, going from small to big, small company to big company, one of the things I, I had to learn a long time ago was to learn to delegate again. Because when you're in a small company, as you pointed out, John, you're doing a lot of the stuff. And then you get to a larger company and there's other resources there that allow you to focus on what's the highest and best use of your time. But you have to relearn how to use those resources. Yeah. Um, so you, you're, I'm sure you're going through some of that, right? No doubt. That, that's so um, intuitive of you to, to pick. Yeah, there's no doubt that's there because you, you do want to do things on your own but you can't get as much done if you do. So it's just, you're right. It's a lesson in mindfulness of knowing when to delegate and be thoughtful about how you can do that. Yeah. Um, yep. Hugely. And then along the lines of alignment, uh, can, can you give us an example of, um, of that where, you know, you've, you've gone to this company that's, that's great to hear. Cause I wouldn't have thought of that, not just with Wells, but any company with that many employees, it's, it's, it's very difficult to get everybody rowing in the same direction. But do you, have, do you have an example of what some of the alignment that you've seen there? Yeah, uh, probably a couple. The, the one that jumps to the front of my mind is um, we all know that there's um, there's advisors that are leaving uh, full service, you know, employee models going independent, um, and that's no different than than at Wells, our employee uh, advisor channel. Um, is there are advisors in there that choose to go independent sometimes. And, you know, Wells uh, historically has had the independent business, but not necessarily made it a cornerstone of the value proposition. So right. if somebody wanted to go independent, you might let them go if it was sort of the last result. And if you were in our um, employee channel, um, the, the private client group, you and you were trying to manage a region and you were trying to recruit, you probably were going to recruit a new advisor into your employee only model, right? Uh, because that was the thing that you managed. Sure. So today, uh, in an incredibly well orchestrated way, there's no barriers between uh, coming into the employee channel or coming into the independent channel. Mm -hmm. And if you're the manager of uh, New York City, and you find an advisor that you're talking to at a competitive firm, whether they're at an independent firm or an employee model firm, you know, another full service or, or wirehouse, that, that manager in New York City benefits equally by virtue of his goals and what he's trying to accomplish to bring that advisor into whatever the right model is here on our independent channel, in our bank channel, or in our full service, you know, uh, model as an employee. So your sales guys can go in without an agenda. They can basically do what salespeople are supposed to do, listen and understand what, what the advisor's looking for, and then dial into the right channel at Wells. Right. But think about that. How many times have you been at a big company where you, you think that's what ought to be happening, but it's not happening because of competing priorities and I'll call it lack of leadership uh, to get everybody on the same page. 
Yeah, it starts at the top. That's the yeah. alignment that you're talking about. If it's not aligned at the top, then they will, that salesperson, depending on what channel they're in or division they're in, they're obviously going to try to steer that client or that prospect to where they work. And that may not be in the best interest of that prospect. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So let's drill down into your role. Uh, Wells Fargo, you know, has about two, I think around 2 trillion in assets. That's a number that I saw reported recently. And you're within the Wells Fargo Wealth and Investment Management Group as the head of the independent advisor group. So, um, and I think you oversee roughly the finance channel, which is roughly 1400 advisors and also first clearing, uh, which is a clearing business that clears for uh, over 50 independent broker dealers out there. So do I, do I have your role or the, at least the groups that you oversee, correct? Yeah. Yeah. You, you've got, you've done your research and that's, uh, that's really it. So the independent advisor group is a new, it's a new name. It's a new entity for us uh, that sort of goes along with the firm's commitment in 2021. So just last year to really accelerate growth in the space. But those are the entities you've got our financial network, Finet with 1400 advisors, give or take, uh, first clearing, broker dealer clearing. All the broker dealers are all wealth management broker dealers, names we would all know. And um, the add-on to that that I would make is that we now have uh, a an RIA services business that we're doing in uh, in partnership with one of our correspondent firms, which is Trade PMR, and we've had some really nice success there. So we we really look at kind of servicing the whole lineage of independent models that are in the marketplace. So basically, whether it's W two, so your employee model hybrid, which is, you know, independent and advisor has their own independent RIA, but they also have commission-based business um, or pure fee only. All Are all of those in play now with Wells Fargo? Uh, almost. So we have uh, the, the 1099 model, of course, on the independent side with Finet. We um, have started up the RIA um, offering and that's had some really good success in the first two years. And what we don't have yet is the hybrid. So the, you know, the one in the middle. And uh, our goal is to have uh, that available in a, I'll call it a beta, a pilot, it's probably a better word, by mid-year. And, you know, for us, we know that it's a natural progression. You can go from being an employee, you can go from there to being uh, an independent 1099. Many times people want to transition over to starting their own RIA. And when they do that, you know, oftentimes they need the the hybrid or the ability to hold the broker dealer license as well as let them operate their RIA. So uh, we're we're filling the gap. Well, you know, and what I'm seeing out there, John, is that there's a lot of advisors who really enjoy being advisors. They like working with their clients. They like working with prospects. They may enjoy the investment process. They may not, you know, the, managing the assets for the clients. But what I'm finding is many advisors out there don't particularly care for managing a business and running a business and everything that goes with running a business. In fact, the most successful advisors I've seen in my career, I would I would guess you you as well, are those that are good business owners and and have grown their firms over time by being good business owners, not necessarily by making great stock picks and having the best performance out there. 
But, you know, this, as you get to that, you talk about Wells Fargo's resources earlier. I want to key on that for a second, because the amount of resources that you have within the firm that services your own W-2 employee model, I got to think those resources are going to be really valuable uh, to some extent to the hybrid RIAs once you build out that channel and into RIAs in general who just need help running a business. Uh, I, th- I think for sure. Um it's, it's the hybrid piece. It's really all of them. If you can take the same resource pool and regardless of channel, deliver those resources out, in my mind, that can be a differentiator. Whether you're 1099, hybrid, RIA, if you can tap into lending, if you can tap into a local or regional specialist to help you with trust in estate or wealth structuring, that's pretty cool, right? Like Not a lot of people would have that kind of resource in San Diego available to you if you're an advisor there. So I definitely think uh, it plays itself out. It's funny as you're talking about that, the description of, you know, the advisor that wanted to have their own advisory business, but then realized they're now running a firm in addition to being an advisor. Right. I mean, have you seen that where you see the the, the person that maybe kind of wishes they, they didn't have to deal with the running the business, even though they set it up? Uh, you see it all the time. I mean, they it's sort of moving away from your core interest. Many advisors got in this business. They became successful because they added new accounts, new assets, added new advisors to their business. But over time, realized they went from a practice to a business. And that involves things like managing people and doing reviews and hiring and firing and negotiating lease contracts. They don't have this experience. And I often find there's a lot of firms out there that have have had success addressing those pain points, addressing, you know, pushing those bruises and having solutions for them because they they know that advisors don't enjoy this. And so some have gone to the point where they hire a CEO or they bring in somebody to manage the business so it allows them to do what they do best. Some haven't gone that direction, but I know one thing after talking to advisors, they'd love to have their custodian or their broker dealer, what have you, help them with those things. I look at Wells Fargo, for example, 275,000 employees. You got one heck of an HR business there, right? Right. Somebody's managing 275 and, and dealing with that. If your advisors could tap into that in some way and get some expertise from somebody who's got that many employees, then an RA with ten employees is probably gonna um, is probably gonna be able to have their lives uh, manage a lot better if they can tap into a resource you could provide. So I mean that's just a, an example. I don't even know if you're going there. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, the we haven't gone there yet. I think for us, it's trying to get uh, probably more of the basics in place, helping people around things like growth your comment about helping people run their businesses, right? Um, Practice management and all that fall under the practice management umbrella. There's a lot of resources we have and um, ideation that comes out of uh, our core home office, just call it our core wealth and investment management business. And so do we do deliver that along? What we've not gotten to um, that I think is probably for us more of a next year is this sort of how do you outsource um, some of the things you're talking about? How do you outsource some of the HRing and the, we do we do help we do help around technology. We do help around I'll call it practice management, but the outsourced services that are 
running the business services. We've not gone there yet, uh, but we think it's it's good ground. Yeah, well, look, uh, like I said, you've got the teams in, internally that I'm sure you'll the advisors will be able to glean some help from these uh, over time. You know, there's many of the 20,000 plus RIAs in the country were at one time W-2 employees of a, of, a, of a wirehouse full service firm like, like Wells Fargo. So John, how does Wells retain advisors who really enjoy the Wells brand, enjoy many of the resources and the platform that you all provide, but they're also attracted and now are very aware of the financial rewards and the flexibility of the independent advisor model. So we think about retention, first of all, at a platform level. And so we think about looking at our business as a platform and giving advisors choice. So unlike a year ago or two years ago, Derek, we weren't doing that. And today it's very different. We're promoting advisors and their managers to have conversations about what business model fits them best. So today we could have an advisor that would be a bank-based advisor employee, a traditional full-service advisor employee, uh, our Finet business, so a 1099 independent contractor um, advisor. And then, of course, you could also be an RIA. And so we're offering that choice and promoting that regardless of the channel you choose and the one that fits you best, that you still have access to all the resources of the firm. And so we, we kind of view this notion of having a full set of resources, access to all the platform, access to the differentiators we have a as a bank and banking, lending and trust, uh, as well as when you think about moving, for example, from a, an employee model to our independent business, there's no disruption for the client. It's the same client account. It's the same statements. It's the same... Uh, user login for the website, just really, really low disruption. And we think that's got a real benefit to retention. Well, I think that's smart, John, because two things an advisor hates, and I've learned this over, over my years in the business, they hate not having flexibility. And you guys are answering that. And they hate making transitions and all the work that goes with it. It sounds like you're going to be, or you are addressing those two, those two challenges. For sure, especially from the client experience. The advisor has a less disrupted experience too, but importantly, it's the client. Well, you know, I think you look at the other full service firms out there and and I like what you're saying because you're embracing flexibility. You're embracing choice. And, and I don't feel that other firms have really done that over time, truly put their money where their mouth is when it comes to choice. Because you know in the independent space, it's synonymous with flexibility. It's synonymous Absolutely. with choice. And when you take that element away from an advisor, out of spite alone, they may <laughs> they may leave you. Okay. Yeah, that's absolutely one true. Great, one of the great areas technology, right? I mean, if you only allow the advisor to use the homegrown stuff of your firm, it may be amazing that technology. But just because, you know, you don't allow them to see the technology that they went to a conference and saw and you don't give them that flexibility, they start to begin that, to feel like they're, 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 they're like they're being held captive almost. And so the fact that you guys are embracing that choice, putting money behind a commitment, that's I think that's going to be a game changer for you. Yeah, we're, we're hoping so, uh, because you're right. 
there are, in many ways, there's not a firm of our size and scale and resource pool doing that, right? We know our traditional full service competitors don't. Our independent competitors, some of the larger ones have nice resource pools, but then again, they may not have some of the balance sheet, the bank and uh, and that sort of thing. So we think we're in a unique spot. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about that, you know, the value proposition that gives us. Well, and I always thought, fine, you know, with your finite business, Wells Fargo did make the first foray into addressing some of this choice and some of the independent tendencies or desires of advisors out there. You know, I don't think they would have hired you if they felt like they they nailed it, <laughs> that they right. were doing everything they needed. And, you know, I think there's, you would agree that there's things that Finance has done well, but other areas for opportunity uh, for improvement, that is. So what what would you say, just, you know, first glance after half a year in, what would you say are those areas for improvement within within the finance channel? So, Derek, uh, for sure, there's areas to improve. We've really looked at three areas that we've made a lot of progress, but we continue to focus on because it's so important to the, the client and the uh, advisor experience. And the first is flexibility. Uh, and you know uh, better than anyone that one of the allures of going into the independent space is to be able to run your own business and run your business the way you want to run it. And in the past, we didn't really offer the flexibility that we should have. We weren't promoting the flexibility. We were looking at the business through the lens of being uh, a large provider to employee advisors. And so we've really started to expand that, You know, providing flexibility in the way of outside business interests, uh, flexibility in the way of uh, enabling advisors to use more modern marketing to promote and grow their business. Uh, importantly, and hugely important in the independent space, as you know, uh, we're also thinking about uh, expanding the use of third-party fintech. So that was a big one, flexibility. And the second was we just, we knew we had to uh, improve the technology experience. We've made a lot of progress in the last year. You know, we've delivered a new planning experience with eMoney. We've uh, delivered aggregation. We've delivered a new client portal, and we've uh, also delivered uh, a fully integrated version of Black Diamond as an option. So we've made a lot of progress, but we need to keep focusing on the advisor workstation workflow tools. And that's really big on our agenda here in 2022. So we're going to keep keep pushing on that side. Um, and I'd say the last thing is just core blocking and tackling. Um, you know, no matter how you how well you do, I would guess in uh, in the in the advisor business with tech, it's always going to come down to a service business. And so, um, at the end of the day, we're in the service business. We've got to make sure we're getting. Uh, responses on things like wires, on reorgs, uh, responses on uh, new account opening, all of that in a real timely manner, and that we're there to be also proactive too. So uh, service, I think, is where um, where the rubber meets the road in our business, and that's where we're really spending a lot of time. Well, no doubt. And I think I would say importantly for you all is that you've made a lot of these updates You've created a lot of new technology. Um, you, you're delivering a lot of these things. One of the things I just say, make sure your advisors are aware of all these changes because there's nothing worse. And <laughs> I know this from experiences, 
losing or an advisor uh, or perhaps not not uh, selling a prospect on joining your platform because they're not aware of the things you already have. Absolutely. That's the hardest thing when you're making so many changes. Uh, lately, I've been using the word internally, promotable change. We're making so many changes and so many changes, but we need to promote them so that people adopt them, so they use them, but so they also see that something is happening better today than it was before. And so we're all about trying to find you know, promotable change and develop and bring promotable change to the advisors. So do you see you, you see a day in the near future where you're recruiting, uh, you know, seeing good growth in that channel with the hybrids? And then even let's go even to the fee only RIAs, pure RIAs that just need a custodian. Uh, absolutely. We have to. So so here's how we think about the world using rough data here. That's our own research and, and external uh about 500, low 500s of advisors leave um, full service slash, you know, wirehouse firms every year to go independent. That's a, that's a four-year statistic on average. But going from one independent model or independent firm to another, there's about 8,000 that are moving every year. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of flavors of that 8,000, right? There's, you know, RIA to, I'm not sure if it's capturing a, uh, sort of moving from Schwab to Fidelity if you had some RIA assets, but it's certainly capturing if you went from uh, an IBD 1099 model into RIA, it's capturing if you went from one 1099 firm to another, and there's a lot of movement there. The key for us is going to be to um, succeed where we should naturally do really well, which is why if you're moving from a wirehouse, we should be a natural first call. Um, we're the, one of the only firms that could match the resource pool. And we've done pretty well there, but we've not even pushed on at all is letting the independent advisors that are out with our finite you know, competitors uh, know that we're really committed to the business, that we're here and tell our story. And so this is a big change for us. We, we're going to get out and tell our story that if you're uh, an independent you know, broker dealer rep and you're looking for... Um, more resources, more scale, um, an ability to deliver more for the client. Uh, we think we're a great choice. And so we're going to tell that story. And then naturally would be, how about the RIA market? Because so many people are going out of IBDs and wirehouses directly to RIA. We've, um, we've got big desires to be meaningful there. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a lot of opportunity. Uh, I get, uh, like I said, I, I get excited by the opportunity. Well, you gotta you gotta strike a balance between building, you know, getting that ball field ready for the players to come play on it, but also telling everybody that you've got the ball field yeah. and, and and reestablishing that. And I think that's that's a great opportunity. You've got a heck of a PR machine as soon as you turn that on and go after it. So. Look, I think um, advisors out there that are looking for the resources that you can bring in all the different areas, whether you know on the asset management side, the lending side, all those things, which are becoming more important to the holistic wealth advisor out there. So that's great, but you gotta you gotta execute on the blocking tackling because you know all those things don't mean anything if you can't get a wire out for your best client on time. You right? got it. You got it exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, that's yep. it. You know, one thing I was thinking about here is on the uh, the hybrid. I'd be curious in your view. So the hybrid model gets a lot of talk. 
Um, it's funny that word now, of course, is being used for a lot of different things in other industries. Um, but in the traditional sense that you and I might think about hybrid, um, my lean is that the hybrid is probably, um, it's an intermediary, right? It's a step that oftentimes is needed and is there. I'd be curious if you have that same view, you know, whether it's, it's growing, whether it's shrinking, whether the, because of the growth and fee only does, or, you know, pure fee based, does the, does the hybrid have a less important place? It's a, it's a question we've been asking ourselves. Well, there's the, John, there's a lot of definitions of hybrid out there, but I'm going to use the one that I think you're talking about where, an advisor is affiliated with a broker dealer and using uh, using their own independent RIA versus the corporate RIA of, of a broker dealer. Right. That's where we're on the yeah, same page. That's a perfect clarification. Yeah. Yep. OK. So with that, in that regard, I see it used to be there was some rule of thumb that if you had 75 million or 100 million dollars of fee based, then that was the time to go out and get your own independent RIA because yep. conceivably you could afford to handle the compliance largely evolved with running an independent RIA. Over time, I've seen that number go further and further up because the complexity of the business, namely driven by the regulators in this business, um, has gone up and up and, and people are just like, okay, if I can have my name on the door and be independent, and if John comes in and talks to me as a, and wants to hire an advisor, I can, I'm still brute in capital management, what have you, does the advisor care that I my RIA or who I'm using as an RIA is really Wells Fargo? I don't think so. You're, it's essentially another area of your business to outsource. So the next test or litmus test is, does it affect the valuation of the firm down the road when they look to sell? And again, I think that is being tested in the marketplace right now. What most people are finding is that, look, it, it comes down to who owns the client. So it doesn't matter who the RIA is. If you own the clients and you want to move and you want to sell your business, what have you, there's still value there. So long answer to your question, but I think the that demarcation line of when people use go from a corporate RA to a independent is moved up mainly because of the complexity of this business. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting. I completely agree with your view. Uh, completely agree with it. And your valuation comment is interesting because the. Um, I think it wouldn't have been long ago you'd say you have to have your own RIA to get the enterprise value that you're looking for. But it's interesting what you said brings a thought up that that I've had recently which is, you know, there's more RIAs outsourcing today than ever have. Mm -hmm. I tend I tend to believe that trend of outsourcing will continue. And so therefore, are you outsourcing to a TAMP? Are you outsourcing to your own parents' RIA and their advisory infrastructure. I'm not so sure there's a big difference there, right? Because somebody else is is helping, and therefore, should that impact the the valuation if you own the client and have the ability to control that client to some extent? Yeah, look, I, you look at a lot of the buyers out there today. They have their own RIA, obviously. Uh, many of them have centralized investment management platforms that when they acquire you, they want you to use. So does it really matter that you, you're going to be switching RIAs anyway? So what's yep. the difference there? You may be switching investment management platforms. 
net net, it comes down to the relationship the advisor has with their clients. And are they going to retain those clients when they go and say, hey, John, I'm switching from you know, this firm to this firm, we're changing RIAs. You got to sign this one piece of paper via DocuSign. Uh, you know, is the client going to say, no way, I'm not going to switch RIAs. I think most of the time they'll say, John, what, what the heck is an RIA? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't yeah. even know we were working with one. So I'm working with you, John, not an RIA. And then you'll either choose to explain that to them or not and just work with them to sign the piece of paper. So I think that's where our, our business is. And so I, I think there's, that's why having that platform where you take that off the table, whether they want an independent RIA or they want to use finance corporate RIA, who cares? It, it, you, that's a choice that the advisor can make depending on how much they want to take on themselves. Yeah, we think similarly there. I, I agree. Yep. Well, John, this has been great. You can you I, we're two peas in a pod when it comes to talking about this industry here and and you know, both, you know, what we see on the horizon, but also what we've experienced in the past. And look, you know, what we see in the rearview mirror is indicative of, I think, what we're going to see in the future in many regards. So I think Wells got, has the right person running this whole ship over there and, and making these determinations. So best of luck to you. And Thank you. Uh, it's been great having you on the show. It's been great to be here, Derek. Great to catch up with you. So thank you. And thank you for listening to my show today. You can subscribe to Can You Hold My Attention podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as through our LinkedIn page with the same name. Have a great day and stay safe.